Accounting Influencers Broadcast Network presents Success in Accounting. Brought to you by Advanced Track. Brown here on the Success in Accounting podcast. On behalf of the Accounting Influencers Podcast Network, we are going out to 30,000 accountants in 150 countries, and we're continuing with our series of women in leadership in the accounting and fintech world. We have a really colorful and diverse audience with us today of prominent, influential, authoritative women leaders. Some of us have been around in this game a long time. Some of us are just finding our way, but we are addressing diversity and leadership. And I'm going to ask the guests to introduce themselves in just a moment touching on some really interesting subjects. So without further ado, Maxine, can I ask you to kick us off and say hello and let our watchers and listeners know who you are? Absolutely. Well, thank you, Rob. It's really great to be here and to be part of the discussion and nice to, nice to connect with you ladies as well. So my name is Maxine Brock. I'm the Chief Marketing Officer at MGI Worldwide. We're a top 20 global accounting network of independent firms, all medium sized businesses, uh, that share the same values and work with the same types of clients all over the world. So we've got 410 offices um, based in just over 100 uh, countries and we've been going for 75 years and, and I've been fortunate enough to work with MGI for 10 of those years and during that time we've, we've grown and advanced uh, hugely. Two things I think just are worth quickly mentioning. This year we became the first global accounting network to be accredited with ESG marks. So we've really got um, a real conscious drive towards environment and social governance. So the governance obviously links in with the diversity piece that we're going to be talking about today. Um, I'm also involved in a um, global women leadership group that brings together all of our female talents around the world. And it's a really fantastic forum for sort of sharing experiences and insights around the world. So yeah, really great to be here um, and to hear from everyone as well. So thank you, Rob. Thank you, Maxine. Great to have you. Ellen, welcome. Really nice to meet all of you. I am the co-founder and chief operating officer of iWin. We are a um, technology startup and building um, really cool billing software for CPA firms. So we offer a modern client digital payment experience and auto also automation of many finance uh, team tasks around accounts receivables. We have over 40 customers in the top 500, and I think our results just speak for themselves. 51% uh, decrease in DSO, so we've doubled the speed of cash that's coming through the door for our customers. Three times increase in online payments, so really accelerating that move away from paper checks to digital payments and digitizing that whole back office function. Um, so my background is I am actually a serial technology entrepreneur building modern workflow software tools for the back office. So coming into the CPA industry relatively recently, I worked at Google actually doing automation and technology projects for the finance team and learned just a lot about kind of how backwards some of these tooling can be and got a lot of empathy for the user for all of the different workflow tasks and the manual work that had to be done. So for me, it's really interesting to innovate in this space and really help um, our CPA customers, the finance, the partners, everyone that touches kind of that cash flow to really make their lives more pleasant and free up their time. Um, so we started Iwin over two years ago and my background is actually, I started out as head of product. So was working with the R&D team, with the engineering team, building out our technology and automation. And then more recently, last in the last few months, moved over to the go-to-market motion side of things. So now I oversee marketing and BD, um, the board management, strategic cross-functional initiatives. So 
really exciting to be here and really excited to participate in this panel. Arume, welcome. Thank you, Rob. Thank you for having me. So my name is Arume Hayes. I'm the founder and CEO of Hayes CPA, a boutique CPA firm based in Staten Island, New York City. I provide tax advisory outsourced CFO services. I am a minority certified business owned business certified both by the state of New York and um, the city of New York. So um, a little bit about me, I've been a CPA for over about 15 years. I am an active member of the State Society of CPA as well as the, on the national level, the AICPA. Currently with the NYSSCPA, I am vice president of chapter. The NYSSCPA has over 20,000 members and we have 15 chapters and I am um, vice president for seven of those chapters. On the AICPA level, you know, it's a huge, obviously uh, a huge organization. That's the American uh, or the Association of International CPA such, uh, Certified Public Accountants. And so I chair the executive committee, one of the committee sessions of the AICPA. And the executive committee is comprised of members from all over the U.S. And we partner with firms of all sizes. And what we do is that we create targeted and customized practical tools and resources, as well as networking opportunities to help provide a collective voice for the CPA within the CPA professions. So what we do is that we're helping all of our, our local and regional members providing just tools, tools and resources that can help them um, to be able to boost up and be successful with their firms. In addition to my, um, my involvement with the CPA organizations, I am also an adjunct lecturer at the College of Staten Island at the business school. And so I teach accounting. And just recently, earlier on this year, I was recognized as one of the 25 most powerful women in the US by the AICPA and the CPA practice advisor. So thanks for having me. I'm really um, honored and proud to be part of this panel today. Well, I'm honored too, because we have Rebecca Bennyworth here. Rebecca's a tax legend, a queen of tax, and probably fresh from a television interview somewhere. Rebecca, welcome. Thank you, Rob. Uh, I feel a bit overwhelmed to be in such august company because uh, <laughs> I'm just little old me, really. So um, the seat I'm sitting in at the moment is my office where I run my accountancy practice. Uh, and I have a range of local small businesses. I've got one or two slightly larger clients, but mainly I'm servicing just really local hairdressers, people, agricultural fencers, plumbers, people like that, and really helping them to um, take their business wherever they want it to be. I'm always reluctant to say grow because a lot of people don't want to grow their business. They like it the size it is. Um, so I have uh, three staff and they are all related to me because they're all my children. Um, not all of my children, but my three staff are three of my children. Um, and um, we love working together. We all work remotely. Uh, so my one of my other hats is I am a tax lecturer. I have been a tax lecturer for um, 35 years. Uh, I study the latest legislation and then I go out on the road or nowadays a lot over Zoom delivering uh, CPD courses for accountants. So I don't lecture in college. I lecture to uh, my peers and keep them up to date with the latest tax developments, which has been quite fascinating over the last few months here in the UK. Uh, it's been running to catch up, really. Um, and uh, I do volunteering with the tax authority to try and help them keep straight. I've got 
Um, I'm a member. I'm so my my background is I am an ICAW chartered accountant. I am a member of council for the institute, which is the governing body uh, for my region, west of England. Um, that'll do. I've got a few more hats, but that'll do. That'll give you an idea. So thank you, Bob, for inviting me. But yes, I was on the telly on Tuesday night, which was great fun. Well, it was the Martin Lewis show. Maxine, you might know Martin Lewis, but he's pretty famous here in the UK as a uh, as a, a vanguard for personal finance. Uh, great to have you on with us. Let's get straight into it. And uh, Alan, I'll start with you on this one. Why is diversity important? It's come up to the top of the agendas for many leaders in accounting and fintech firms, networks, organizations. We weren't really talking about it a few years ago, but then women got the vote and started to play soccer and then joined golf clubs and the whole world turned upside down, all for the better. And it's very much top of the agenda right now. So uh, tell us a little bit about what's at the top of your agenda and how diversity fits into that? Yeah, so I think, I think first of all, there's just a lot of research, like objective research that shows like, business numbers, performance improves with more diversity. I, I think there's just so much research on that front out there. It's just hard for me to think that anyone would actually you know, be in a position to refute that. So that's where I want to start because ultimately, you know, we are in our careers, in our professions, in our positions. Um, some of us are founders. And, you know, for us, one of the primary hats that I wear, wear is what am I doing for my business, for my company that improve it, its performance, regardless of DEI or anything else. And really, you know, like the objective fact is that DEI improves business performance. So I think that's where I start in terms of why should you care? Like you should care because it's gonna improve your profitability. It's gonna improve your growth. It's gonna improve your talent retention, your engagement, your, you know, talent acquisition. So that's why we care. Um, and I think that's why the industry should care as well. From our perspective, um, you know, I think there's a number of things that we are doing, uh, you know, we. For example, for different positions, uh, it's not that we have a quota, but we do make a intentional effort to make sure that the pool at the top, like the top of the funnel, you know, there's always qualified diverse candidates that are coming through. Not to say that that person is going to get the job, but at the least, you know, we are making the effort to say like, when we are evaluating people, interviewing people for different roles, we're going to make sure that we're not like it, it's not going to be um, a situation where it's a hundred percent, you know, that it's not going to be like, there's going to be no diversity because at the least, like we're kind of looking at it from the very beginning and sourcing the candidates and such. So that's one thing that, you know, we do as a business. Rebecca, you've been in this game a long time. I remember when accountants wore pinstripe suits and bowler hats and carried canes and everything else. And it was very much a man's world, wasn't it? So speak to us a little bit about diversity in your life. I had quite a strange entry into the career in that I, married during my course at university I married as an undergraduate I met my husband at university uh, we fell madly in love and we got married within a year so we were part way through our course which was like blew everybody's minds but um, in those days people usually waited if they met at uni they waited until they graduated and then got money and and, I, and we just said to each other, we've got no money now. We're not going to have any money for ages. So what are we waiting for? So we, we just did that. Um, and then when it came to applying for jobs, it was a bit tricky because we needed to make sure we were going to be in the same bit of England, ideally. Uh, so we both applied to London, although I am, you can, some of you will be able to tell from my accent, I am from the West Country uh, and London is probably about the last place I wanted to go. We decided that's what we have to do. My husband was applying to train as an actuary. I was applying to train as a chartered accountant. 
I went to one interview and obviously in those days you said that you were married and so on. And this uh, chap at a firm of accountants um, asked me how I was going to cope with working and cooking dinner for my husband. And that uh, he didn't think I would be able to manage the studying because I'll be having to do the housekeeping. And I, I was completely speechless. I, I, I think I fumbled an answer that said, well, actually, I will probably want to eat as well. Uh, but I came out there and thought, oh, boy, you know, they couldn't offer me enough money to go work for them. It was positively Neanderthal. Um, and in fact, the firm I joined to train with, and this was 1978, um, prided themselves. They weren't a very large firm. They were a national firm. Prided themselves on taking on half their intake was always half women, half men, even then, which I thought, this is a firm I want to work for. So going back to then, what diversity did is it gave young women like me an insight into how a firm could be different. Uh, and I think diversity nowadays, certainly in the UK, that the talent pool is so difficult to get hold of. Um, there is so much money on offer to go into the law that to recruit young people to train as chartered accountants, you've got to be the absolute best you can be to get these candidates in the door. And so in a way, I want to flip it and say, why is diversity important now to firms of accountants? It is you are not going to get good people because they are going to look at you and go, where is this coming from? So I, I think it's massively important. I mean, I have been fortunate in the very early on in my career, I sort of carved this thing that I'm just me. It's just me. Don't ask, am I a woman? Do I believe in this or anything? I'm just Rebecca. And people sort of meet me and take me at face value. But obviously diversity is important. And I just say one more thing is I don't see now diversity as being gender as being race as being cultural backgrounds what we need is diversity of thought we need people with so many different outlooks on life so that we benefit from their lived experience we want looked after young people who are so disadvantaged probably right across the world we need their insight to bring into our firms and our, our employments because they've got experience that actually most of chartered accountants in the UK haven't got and we need that experience and we need that insight in order to thrive and grow. Very good I'm just thinking of a stat that came out from the AICPA recently that said that 75 percent of accountants are at or near retirement age and we speak to not just diversity of gender but diversity of generation and youth and uh maxine you're opening thoughts on the topic of diversity yeah i mean i've got lots of thoughts on this but um diversity is absolutely something i'm incredibly passionate about um but i also think that when we talk about diversity we talk about inclusion as well because you can have diverse teams and diverse leadership and things but if you don't have inclusion I think then there can be you know it can actually create problems as well so I think that's an important point but um I mean just touching on a couple of the things that have been discussed already Ellen you talk about productivity about creativity about innovation all of those things and there are so many stats and reports that back all of those things up um Rebecca in the accounting world I mean I cannot tell you we speak to so many different firms around the world the 
the, the vital issue on recruiting and attracting staff is absolutely huge. I mean, it's a vital issue within North America for absolute sure. I mean, there's too much work and not enough people, to be honest with you, um, which is a big, big problem. So the angle sort of I would definitely come on from is that there's so many different reasons why diversity is important. But when it comes to the vital issues in our profession today, you know, the, the talent shortage is huge. And I agree wholeheartedly with Rebecca in that, you know, having diversity, having a, a culture that really nurtures that within your firm does help you stand out from the crowd in terms of attracting talent, absolutely. But I think it also is something, it makes you more of an, an attractive employer, right? Because, you know, there are people, and, you know, you talk about the generation gap as one piece. There are generations, younger generations, that that's wholly important for them to know that they're coming into a firm that is, you know, collaborative, that is positive, that is diverse and inclusive. And that would be potentially, you know, the deciding factor of whether they work for you or work with another firm. Um, and that has to be, um, you know, raising the priority, I think, among firms, among, among companies, because... The, the talent shortage isn't just for our profession, it actually is happening to all different types of industries throughout the world, right? So I think that's a really sort of compelling, compelling case. And, and again, agreeing with Rebecca in terms of diversity, gender diversity, absolutely. You know, the gender gap at the leadership end needs to be addressed. You know, when I look at all of our firms, the cross section of our firms, um, our statistics are, are better than the global average. So, um, you know, in terms of leadership positions for female leaders, we're at about, and I'm generalizing, but across all of our different regions, around 25, you know, under 30% is still less, right? And there's still work to be done. Um, and I think, you know, that's a huge issue, but the diversity comes in many forms. Um, you know, you talk about gender, um, race, ethnicity, lots of different forms um, that, that need to be considered. And I think that when we talk about the the, the, the um, diversity from gender perspective to think about means and ways, but not necessarily the exclusion of our male colleagues. And I think that's an interesting debate. Thank you. We'll come up with some suggestions, hopefully, to right some wrongs. I'm just thinking that the DEI agenda, diversity, equity, inclusion, there are two more to be added to that now that are coming into common parlance. Justice is one and accessibility is another. So it's now the DEIJA agenda, and there's so much going on there to think about. Uh, Arumi, what are your thoughts on the profession and how we deal with diversity? Yes, thanks for that, um, Rob. I, exactly, I'll, you know, piggyback off what everyone has said, Maxine, Rebecca, Ellen. Um, so it's well, statistics, it's out there. It's, been, it's a proven case that diversity really, really improves your bottom line. You know, there's no debate about that. In the US, diversity came back to the forefront after the old George Floyd um, debacle. And a lot of firms really, really, maybe previously they were not on the bandwagon. They jumped on the bandwagon. They started to implement diversity programs and initiatives. And they have all of these statements on their website. But what is going on now, though, is that some, a lot of some of these firms or uh, some companies are pulling back and they think it's we're in this work society, work period, whereas we don't need to do um, take all of these initiatives any longer because um, we are 
disenfranchising another um, sector of, of the population. But when you really think about it, it's, it's an imperative. Diversity, it's a moral issue. It's like, why would any firm, any company not want to be involved in having a diverse organization? So we're looking at some of the things that uh, Rebecca said, you know, sexual orientation, age, your lifestyle, your education, who, who's in your firm? Are you recruiting? You know, you're talking, you spoke previously about the pipeline, right, Rob? The pipeline, are you recruiting only from one segment um, of, of the population, only from one particular institu institution, only from Ivy League schools, or are you going to other ethnic minority colleges to recruit? What, what's the marital status of everyone in your organization? You know, uh, do you have single people? Do you have single moms? Do you, uh, is that okay? I mean, do you accept them? Do you welcome them into the organization? As you said also, um, Maxine, uh, the youth nowadays, I, I consider myself a global citizen. A lot of the young generation, they, everyone around them, their friends, their peers, they're all from different different groups, different religions, different. So they don't want to go and work in a place of work where they're, it's strictly homogeneous, right? Everybody they see is, is just one, one type of person. And then you don't have any diversity of stock. So just one on the moral issue, it's the great thing to do. Two, Profitability, if you're looking at your bottom line, it's an awesome thing to do. And then three, if you want to fill your pipeline, if you want to continue to grow, because like we said, a lot of our generation people, right, are, are going to be retired and getting out of the pro pro uh, profession. If you want to keep that pipeline uh, robust, you need to have a diverse um, organization. So many issues coming out here. I'd, I'd love to chat to you now about your leadership style and your journey. And Rebecca, I'll start with you on this one. As you were coming through and getting into this, did you see people like you further down the line or did you have to blaze a trail if you like? I know you inspire many young women in the profession now, but back then? No, I didn't see people like me coming through um, because although the firm I joined was brilliant in that they recruited 50-50, and they did promote the women as well. Women ahead of me were promoted up to audit manager and so on. So looking back, you know, the, the, the pipeline of talent and they were put, they appointed women partners way ago, 84, 85, they had women partners, which was pretty exceptional then. And again, it was still a, a medium sized firm. It wasn't one of the big global firms. Um, but I think in a way, because of the culture of the organisation, um, you were free to forge your own path. And, and that tends to be what I've done through life. I left employment when I had my first child. Actually, that's quite an interesting diversity issue. In those days, in 1986, it wasn't really considered appropriate to be out at work when you had small children, um, unless you were working on the factory floor. But certainly as a professional, it was expected of me that I would leave work when I had my son. Um, and my husband and I had already discussed that we wanted a large family. We're both from large families. We wanted a large family. And I decided that there was no place for me in the profession in employment. Um, if I was going to come back and then go off and have another one and then come back and then go off and have another one. And, and I would have, and indeed occasionally did get comments like, have you worked out what's causing it yet? Or 
you know, that type of comment, um, which I don't mind. You know, it's a bit of a laugh. It, we did have a lot of children very close together. I had four under six. Uh, and um, but it, it did mean that very much I just had to I had to find a way of just getting through and just being me. And I think a lot of women who've come up through my generation. So I'm at retirement age now. Um, have had to do that. They've had to work it out for themselves because there hasn't been that path. And it is a it is a bit more established now. Rumi, talk about your leadership style and how your journey has shaped the way you view diversity and inclusion. Accounting or being in this profession, that was not my first job. I was in a different profession before I came into accounting. And my first exposure to it was um, one of my professors at, at college and he was a, a CPA and I got to intern um, at his firm and then when I started to work in corporate America, a lot of the folks that I saw around me were, you know, regular, regular Americans. I have to say, not regular American, white Americans or male Americans and not a lot of minority groups. Right. And so I went through the motion of, you know, you know, doing my work and paying my dues and I would have some uh, uh, and a couple of times I would have situations where I had gotten to the level of being a manager and sometimes we would have my bosses actually prefer to go to my members of my team instead of coming to me directly on the stuff that I was working for. So I was I was always being, you know, um, moved over, so to say. But I, my inspiration, I knew that I had a lot to give in this profession. Once, once I fell in love with the profession and I, I wanted to give back, to uh, the larger public, uh, public at large, instead of just serving one employer, because I used to be in, in private. Um, and then I decided I was going to go out and, and um, establish my own firm. And when I did that, the year that I decided to go out on my own, there was a, a magazine, uh, an article that came out that totally blew my mind. And that was what just, it, I just, it just took up. This was when the former chair of AICPA, Kimberly Ellison Taylor, and I've told her about this. This was in, in 2016 uh, when she became uh, chair of the AICPA. And I saw on the on the cover of the Journal of Accountancy this black female face. And I was like, immediately, I was like, oh my God. And then I read up on all of her accomplishments and all of the mentorship that she does. And all of, and I was like, this is this is a, really the first time that I'm seeing someone in the profession that I can really, really identify with and, 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 and can, um, you know, help me get along. I didn't know her. I didn't, did not reach out to her. But just the fact that there was somebody uh, like me who had gotten to this level, um, I knew that, yeah, I was on the right track. And so um, throughout the profession, you know, I, I have had you know, male mentors, you know, folks who have helped me. A lot of the time it's actually been because those were the folks that were in my orbits, right? Um, uh, male um, mentors and professionals. And so they have guided, some have been very, very good and they've guided me and I've pulled out tips, tips from them. So my leadership style is it's really um, collaborative. I love to bring people in empower members of my team to do the work that they have to do let them know that it's okay to fail i still make mistakes we are not perfect that's why the eraser is there right know that if you make a mistake you, you know own it and then we can correct it and we'll find solutions come to me with a solution and then we can make it work so uh, so i love that collaborative atmosphere uh, empower people to do the work and um 
and um, let people step, step out of the shadows because I find that when you micromanage folks, um, sometimes it, um, the results can, uh, it's not really very good. It's not something that I want. And Alan, I'm just looking at your backdrop here on the video in San Francisco, one of my favorite parts of the world. You probably couldn't get a more culturally diverse environment there. Talk to us a little bit about your journey and uh, how you lead. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I was very fortunate in that very early in the formative parts of my career, I had the opportunity to work with Sheryl Sandberg and all of her managers at Google. So, you know, she, I mean, she is just like a really amazing leader, but some of the things that really like, you know, I took away from the way that she led and grew and managed her organization was that she was one of the most caring people, like really cared for her people, but she was totally just no BS, right? Very direct, very honest, like just like we're not, no one's here to, you know, waste time like that sort of mentality. And I don't know if you're familiar with the book Radical Candor written by Kim Scott, but the book basically was based on the same time that I was at Google. So all of these things, that all the anecdotes that she's writing about, like I actually lived through all of that. And, you know, I think her framework is really, something that I started doing even before the book was written just because that's just what I had learned and you know this notion of caring personally while challenging directly right just being able to really care for your team like they're humans right I mean they're, we're all humans at the end of the day it doesn't matter you know white or not white or you know female or male or you know something else it's just you know as a human how can I care for you how can I connect with you or relate to you like what are you going through you know so just being able to care for my team members just across, you know, down here up, right? And being able to care for my team in that way. And that really builds this, you know, foundation of just trust and connection to be able to have very honest conversations when they need to be had and giving feedback or giving praise or, you know, whatever that may be. So I'm a really big, you know, proponent of that. And I think for me, because I went through that experience early on, it just didn't really occurred to me that all of these, you know, DEI issues could really be issues at bay because very early on, I saw really strong, powerful women leaders and, you know, very high positions. And when I became a founder and also started working, you know, with the, the accounting industry, it's like, oh, actually the world is very, very different, you know, outside of this particular microcosm that, you know, I had lived through and how do I kind of take everything that I've learned from that environment and bring it to these other, you know, other contexts and other other landscapes like the CPA industry and be able to kind of, you know, uh, progress, you know, along those vectors. So that's been a really interesting journey for me. And you're here representing the software industry and accounting. It, it's different in the accounting profession potentially because it's been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. Software is less established. So it goes back uh, a, a long way to heritages and the way things were done. Maybe you're blessed in fintech that it's much more diverse right from the outset. I think so. I think it's just that innovation, creativity, just desire to do something new is already baked into our DNA of building fintech, you know, companies and teams and software. So it's a very natural from from like a values, you know, perspective, it's very natural for us to be able to say, yeah, of course, like we're going to do this differently as opposed to the accounting industry, as you said, very, very, very different in terms of where we where we anchor from, you know, like the value pillars that we anchor from. Much of it is about stability and like, you know, kind of like continuing like best practices and things like that. So then, you know, I think one of the challenges is to be able to say, how do we inject some of these, these sort of like new best practice and new ways of thinking and transformation. And I think I am really excited actually, because I think COVID did kind of shake up the industry in a good way. Like it really forced many, many firms and even 
leaders that were maybe like more, you know, stuck in old ways to have to like, they now have to go digital, they have to do things differently. Like staff people can't come into the office, like you can't like get paper printouts and like mark up your bills so that, you know, I think it really did actually force people to change their behavior. And that's creating an opportunity to be innovative and, you know, bring in more technology and bring in just different ways of thinking. And I'm really excited about that. Maxine, thoughts from your, your leadership style and how you set the tone? I think, um, I mean, it's great to follow on from you, Ellen, because I think the um, accounting industry has been absolutely disrupted by technological advancements, right, and disruptions. So, I mean, it's forcing us to change because you're absolutely right, Rob. The accounting industry, if you like, is is still a little bit behind um, in terms of moving forward and things. But um, if I think to my career or all of our careers really over the last, I don't know, 20, 15, 10 years, you know, things have moved and the landscape has changed so much. And I think the very nature of our profession having um, technology advancement coming in is forcing us to change. Um, when I first started, it was very, very male, particularly, especially within my organization, uh, very heavily male dominated. Um, and I felt very different coming into the, coming into the sector. But uh, one thing I would say is that I've always had male, um, male bosses actually along the way. Um, but I've had some fantastic mentors and I think for me, that's been huge. Um, and one, one aspect that I think that's really helped shape me and how I lead my teams is just being ha having that autonomy. And I think Rebecca mentioned or alluded to this, having the freedom to be able to shape your role, um, to allow your teams to, to shape their role, to, to have some element of freedom to experiment, to um, you know, experiment with new ideas, innovation and things. I think that's incredibly important. And it's something that I was offered very early on in my career um, and something that I really, really try and instill within my teams that's, I think, hugely beneficial to retaining people, to, to, for everybody feel, to feel like they're moving forward and that you're not stuck. And I think that's, that's really, really important. But um, yeah, things are, things are changing a, an awful lot. Um, uh, yeah, and I'm just, yeah, it's great to be here and listening to everyone's um, contributions on this topic, for sure. Let's talk about change. Accountants as a as a breed, let's take fintech aside for a moment, Alan, but they're not known for their agility. They're not known for their capacity to handle change. So mental health and mental resilience, well-being then comes at a premium. And we've had lots of discussions on these panels about women that felt they needed to defeminize their style to fit in with, with a male culture. We've heard stories about ambition being a dirty word for women. We've heard stories about women that lacked the confidence to go for roles that they were qualified for, but male counterparts were very underqualified for the role, but just felt they were entitled to it or they had that bullishness about their approach. So I'd like to ask all of you for an example, and I'll start with you, Rumi, on this one, of a time when you failed or you got it wrong or you really had to back yourself or made a big mistake and, and what you learned from it. So so that's very easy, actually. This is one that comes to mind frequently. So it's, um, it was one of, I had a contract job. I was in between jobs and I had a contract job for uh, a, a media company and I was, pro um, I produced the financials and, um, and I was a temp, right? So I did not have all the historical knowledge of what's going on, on, on 
um, at the firm. And so the CFO came to me and asked for some explanation for one of the variances. And uh, I just looked at the numbers and I said, you know, something that came to mind that seemed logical as to what the variance was. That was not the exact reason for the variance. And he got upset. He was like, oh, he called, uh, he called the temp agency and, and, and complained about it. And I ended up, ended up leaving that, um, that temp job. What that taught me is that, you know, which is what I tell my, my team members, it's okay to say you don't know. Okay to say, I'll get back to you. Okay to say, let me research this and let me get back to you. Don't go with the first impulse or the first response that comes to your mind because sometimes, sometimes it's right, but there are a lot of times that it's just never right on the money. So it's like, um, do your research, know what you're talking about. You should know the facts and people will always, people will respect you more when you go and do the research and come back with the facts instead of just going, going with, with, um, with those first things. So that, that was, um, that was very, very, that was something that, that stuck with me. And, and then the, the other part, the other adversity that I had to overcome was, um, so you can tell that I have an accent, um, you know, I have my country of origin is Nigeria. But sometimes dealing with, I, I found that sometimes folks uh, would overlook um, what I was saying because I was speaking with an accent and sometimes I, you know, I, I might repeat myself, you know, it's not a stammer, but I go over my words. And so I, I found out that I had to own it. And once I said, hey, this is, you know, if they're having issues, if my bosses or my colleagues are having issues with the way I speak or whatever, that's, that's on them. I can do the work. I can deliver the work. My communication is the style is different from yours. It does not have to be the same as long as I get the information to you. And so all of these uh, adversities or obstacles or things that happen, for me, it was a stepping block for me to become a better professional and it helped me to enhance my, uh, uh, you know, what I do. Maxine, what about you? Has it been plain sailing or have you had some bumps in the road? Oh, definite bumps. And I think, you know, the reality is that no one can escape failure, right? And, um, but, you know, my, my view on all of this is that, you know, if you don't fail, you don't learn. So I think the first point is to really make that actually failure is not a negative, actually, because I think some of our biggest failures in life can actually be um, some of our biggest turning points. But um, I mean, in terms, there's so many examples, but I decided to focus on one um, that was around COVID because that's the one that really springs to my mind. Um, you know, uh, the working from home, I've got two young children, so nine and 10. The working from home, doing the homeschooling, um, really for me, trying to keep engagement with a global group during this huge unprecedented time was a huge challenge. Um, and you, I felt like everything was against me. And, and to some degree, because I think we look at you know, nowadays in today's world, it's not just about work, right, is one pocket, work and life are now converging as one. And especially during COVID and, and, and potentially post COVID as, as well. And, and I think as a woman, as a mother, as a partner, as a co-worker, as a leader, um, I'm sure all of us as I did, you know, there was one aspect where you feel like you're failing, right. Um, and I think that was an incredibly challenging, challenging um, time. But um, in terms of sort of um, biggest um, learnings, which there were many, I think one of the big takeaways is to really understand that it's okay to say no. You know, I'm a natural, if you like, people pleaser, always wanting to say yes, and actually to understand that it's okay to say no, to have boundaries, that's perfectly fine, 
Um, and I think um, I recently did a, a, an interview with one of our managing partners from Stockholm who gave some really fantastic words of wisdom. And just one thing that he said that just really resonated with me, which I wholly agree with. And when I think back to, to the COVID time is to, to not treat everything with such urgency. I feel like in today's world where everything's changing so, so super fast, we feel like everything needs to get done yesterday. Well, actually, I think that there's something to be said about all good things sometimes come with time, right? Um, and I think that's, yeah, definitely been a learning for me during, you know, the last the last couple of years, for sure, and something that I try and take forward within my world, for sure, yeah. Rebecca, you've been candid at times about your career path, a, a huge amount of loss and adversity. I don't know how much you're open to sharing, but there, there must be some lessons you can share with us about what you've been through. My personal life has been um, challenging throughout my career, and... Um, it's very tempting to use work to escape what's going on in the rest of your life. So I had multiple miscarriages and um, threw myself into work and, and work culture. Um, this is obviously before I had my first son. Um, work culture was such that you didn't talk about things like that and you didn't refer to it. You just buckled down and got on with it. Um, and nowadays that's not regarded as very healthy um later on in my career um i lost my husband to cancer um i had advanced breast cancer myself um and um you know the things that happen that make life difficult and i have i will admit at times done the same thing and thrown myself into work so i can't think about it and i don't have to deal with it but of course, what I have learned is that it's still there when you can't keep going at that pace forever. And when you take your foot off the accelerator, it's still there. You haven't run away from it because it's right with you. Um, and so I found work useful sometimes, you know, it, it has given me the breathing space to get ready to deal with whatever it is I have to deal with. It's been useful. It's been kind to me. My career has been very kind to me. Um, and I think that's that's a, a major lesson for me. It's not to beat myself up when I go and overwork because I can't deal with something. It's just to say, I accept this is what I do. And what I'm doing is I'm just buying a bit of time until I turn and I pick this thing up and I actually do face up to it and deal with it um, which is great for also for your career because if you make an almighty cock up uh, you've got to do the same thing at some point you've got to turn and look at it and deal with the fallout from that and you know that in life and in work has has been um it it you always learn i still learn i'm 66 next week i'm still learning goodness uh, you, and you just reminded me you bounced off it but you said about miscarriages I was born on the 21st of October, 1965. On the 21st of October, 1964, my mother gave birth to a stillborn child. And uh, she was put back onto the maternity ward with all the other women cuddling all of their babies. And that was the way it was done back then. And she had to, they wouldn't let her go immediately, but she was going through that grief. Nobody was allowed to talk to her. And she had to sit in that maternity ward with all of those babies crying and all of those wonderful mothers. And now 
thankfully a year to the day she had me it's a crazy story but yeah things that men don't really think about and there's a lot going on with the whole child thing so thank you for sharing that Rebecca it, it, there's a lot of um can radical candor in there would you say Ellen and, and yes any mistakes or adversities you can share with us that you've learned from yeah Rebecca thank you so sorry for your loss and thank you so much for sharing like we just have so much to learn from you in your resilience and just kind of you know sharing your wisdom with us so I really appreciate that actually so thank you and um similar to you know Maxine I also kind of have one of my life philosophies for myself is if I'm not in a position where I may fail I'm probably not taking enough risks or learning fast enough or I'm not in a place where I am growing fast enough so that I think really leads to many opportunities where there has been failure and learning um but you know like the story that came to my mind when I was thinking of this question and I also want to say Rob like I don't want to get I don't want you to give fintech industry like such a pass because there's massive problems with DEI in like technology and fintech and all of this as well I mean the DEI numbers yeah have it hasn't moved in years despite talking about it for a long time right so I just want to say that nobody we can all be doing a much better job across the board across you know all industries Yes, uh, you know, but for me, I worked at a startup as a product manager and similarly to this notion of how do I really stretch myself, I convinced, uh, you know, my managers to give me a role within the company that I knew was a stretch for me, like it was like just very different industry, different dynamic and I, w I was going to a where I was leading a team of essentially like 15 men, you know, and it's like a very male dominated industry It was like a mobile um, you know, gaming um, companies. So, you know, very, very different. And so I entered this role in the first three months and I was failing, like, you know, I just, it was just not working really well. So it got to the point where actually they put me on a performance improvement plan, you know, so like a pick, like you have to like turn things around, otherwise this isn't gonna work. Um, but the, but really what for me was at that point, they gave me an executive coach, like just, you know, as a leader of like this, uh, technology company so gave me an executive coach and she really worked with me and it was really interesting for me to kind of hear her and this was the first time actually where she put things very specifically in, ter in terms of like gendered terms as in like you are managing all these other men like they see you in this way like you have a male counterpart they don't see you in that way like when you say this like even if he may say the same thing they will have a different perception or they have a different, you know, they receive it differently. So that was really the first time where I think for me, I had such a big like realization of, oh, like woman, it is different. Like, and I actually, you know, coming back to kind of one of your, you know, original questions of, you know, do women lead differently than men? I don't know if like, we all have like, I think characteristics, characteristics that leads us to success are all pretty much pretty similar, you know, like, honest conversations, you know, like competence of like whatever you're doing, you know, all of those types of things. But I think the way that it's received by our teams is different based on if you're a woman or a man. So that's why we have to actually lead differently in order to be effective, right? So that's like one of the biggest insights that I learned from this particular failing and working with, you know, my executive coach. And I was, you know, able to turn it around, like I got off the pip and, you know, the team was great and I was able to make things, but it was because when I really embraced this notion of like, you know what, like I can't change the world and they're going to see me the way they are going to see me. So I need to figure out a way to work in this construct in a very productive way. And it's not going to look the same as my male counterpart, right? So 
I think so the advice that I would have is uh, work with the executive coach because they're amazing. If you find good ones, they are really like having a coach is really amazing. Um, and I think specifically on this topic of DEI and leading as a woman, it's like, you can't pretend that we are the same as men and it's not, it's very counterproductive to do that. So I think one of my other learnings is, you know, as a leader, like just embrace what makes you, you, and just know that it will be perceived differently by the people around you and figure out a way to have that, to be your advantage, like, you know, like really lean into it and have that be something that's a strength and a productive part of your leadership. We're just going to close with some recommendations. Now we shared some of the challenges we all admit that they're out there and uh rebecca i'll start with you on this one if i may just to wrap things up two or three career tips that you would give to the people listening and watching this that you feel they might use to lead better and be better in their roles um so first um and it sounds hackneyed uh but first and most important be true to yourself absolutely be true to yourself and what whatever that means to you I think is it's it's how I've lived my life. Um, I think the second thing, and it goes to adversity, but it goes much further than that, is we are all on a journey. Every human being on this planet has their journey, has their path ahead of them. We can't see that path going off into the future, but recognize that you're on that path if you're spiritual, see it in spiritual terms, but if not, don't. It's a journey through life. And alongside you are other people on their journeys. So that then leads you to recognise a perspective on things, but also to recognise your fellow travellers who might stumble and you could offer them a hand or who might be racing ahead. But that's their journey. So it's it's sort of it's quite deep stuff. And, and in some ways it's, it is predictable but that those are the things that enable you to cope with whatever life throws at you that's very good thank you and Aruma you next but I'm just thinking as Rebecca's speaking there that when we ask if women do lead differently to men there is certainly a more compassionate authentic style to women they're known more for their empathy they will more readily have a conversation and build a relationship and build consensus and recognize where people are on the journey as Rebecca said, in a way that perhaps is not tolerated by men because it's more about performance uh, than partnership, if you like. Uh, but a, a couple of quick thoughts from you, tips for the listeners and watchers, Arumi, as we finish off. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Um, so first of all, I want to say, um, you know, condolences for what you went through, uh, Rebecca. Thanks for sharing your story because I know it's very difficult. And that is actually one of the things that is uh, folks can take if you're a leader share your pain, share what it's very difficult to be vulnerable and being vulnerable and exposing yourself to vulnerability allows your team members and members of yourself to be vulnerable and say, hey, I need to take some time off because I'm going through X, Y, Z at home. You know, that's okay. But they won't want to step up to the place if you uh, if you show this strong front all the time and, and you're like this solid leader, um, they're going to want to um, uh, follow um, your lead. So that's one thing. In addition to that, I want to say also be bold. Um, recently, I was at a um, New York State Society event uh, in which I met an African um, 
African-American CPA who's a partner in a firm. And he was giving me some of um, some advice and sharing some of his prior experiences with me and, and, and how bold he was when he would walk into a meeting and demand things. You alluded to this previously, um, uh, Rob, when you said, you know, but a, ma a male and a female, they will both be qual qualified for the same thing and the, the, the male will be bold and go out and get it and the woman will, will um, take a step back. And he was like the language that he used at some of these meetings that he went to, if a woman, if a female person said the same thing, you know, they will be looked at as if they were the, you know, that she would be called the B word, right? But when a man, a male does it, it says it said that you're bold. So I would say, ladies, or oh, you know, whoever, ladies or guys, be bold. If you're already bold, be bolder. You know, when I got my uh, the the award for the 25 most powerful, one of the 25 most powerful men, I said to myself, I have that imposter syndrome crawled in. It was like, do I deserve this? There's so many talented and awesome CPAs out there. Why am I getting this award? But after what I was like, why not you? Why not you? You do the work. You do the. I mean, it's not as if somebody just gave this stuff to you as if for, for nothing. Yeah, you've done the work. So why should you not be recognized for it? And the other thing, the last thing I would say. So be humble. Try and get rid of your imposter syndrome as early as you can because it's gonna keep coming back to you. It's gonna keep coming up. I I, I don't care uh, how well you are, how well established you are. It's, it will still crop creep up. But have a have a routine, a system that you can use to overcome it. The last thing I would say is that volunteer, raise up your end, put yourself out. If you have a sponsor, a sponsor will help you move forward in your leadership um, goal. But if you don't have a sponsor, you can still do it, but you need to sponsor yourself. You need to raise your hand up and say, yes, send me, I'll do it. When I started to become active at the State Society of CPAs, I noticed that a lot of the um, committees that I, meetings that I, I attended, there were usually very few um, female um, members in attendance. You know, it was always about 30% or less of female members who attended these meetings. And, uh, you know, when I got my first opportunity, when one of the chair of, uh, of the committee asked for me to, to co-chair a task force, I was like, oh, I can't do it. I'm, I'm a new member of this committee. I don't do anything. They're all the seasoned CPAs. Yeah, we'll know X, Y, Z, why me? But he believed me in me and gave me the opportunity. And I, and you know, that really took me, took me up on a tangent. So I would say, be bold. If you're a member of a, of your professional organization, don't be a passive member, please. Be an active member, get involved, and you know, you could go all the way to wherever you want to go get to. That's a great warrior call. Thank you, Rumia. We appreciate that. Ellen, what about your quick thoughts, tips for our viewers? Yeah, so many great tips have already been said. I'll just add one quick one. So I, I see this differently um between like kind of men and women that I manage and such, but I think. So for a woman, just don't take rejection personally, you know? So I think many times like men will ask for things and when they don't get it, it's not like a reflection of their identity, but women don't do that. It's like, oh, if I got, if I was turned down this promotion, it means that I wasn't good enough. Like, don't do that. It's not about that many times. Like go ask for the things that you want. And when you're rejected, just roll it off and just keep going because that's what's really going to get you to that next level. It's difficult for men to admit weaknesses. Uh, Maxine, I'll come to you just to finish in a moment, but uh, it comes back to the playground. If you were admitting any weakness as a man on the playground, you were bullied. That That's not in the part of the agreement. Uh, but women are uniquely placed to be vulnerable and admit some weakness and get away with that, but also be bold and strong and, and be forceful and strong-willed when they need to because you need all kinds of leadership and women perhaps show a little bit more variety in their approach to deal with all kinds of different people 
in a way that men don't. So, uh, Maxine, a few quick tips from you just I'm to I'm going finish. to be really, really quick, Rob, because I know we're coming up to time. But Arume, I love your passion and I love that be bold because I absolutely agree with that 100%. And there's two things I want to say. Um, I think that one of the things that still today, and Rebecca, you mentioned it, um, in terms of always learning, so always stay curious. And it's something that I bring to my day every day. Always, there's always something more to learn, right? Um, and I think, you know, finding ways to feed that curiosity, whether it's through um, some of the suggestions that we made that you've given, but, you know, joining a group, joining a forum, joining a network where you can really meet others, learn from each other and, and share experiences is really, I think, a great, great platform um, to really grow and develop. The other thing that we haven't touched on that I just wanted to mention was really about sort of making time for you, because I think us as ladies, as women, we're always from our waking day thinking of other people, right? Thinking of others the whole time. And I think that not having enough time for yourself can always be sort of the number one excuse, right? So one thing I always try and do is rather than saying, I can't do something, switch out can't with won't, right? And say the same thing again, if, if still the outcome is, you know, I won't do this thing, then you're not meant to be doing it. But if it's not, then really, I think it's about really exploring where you can find those pockets of time to really spend um, on, on yourself. I mean, for me, for example, I, I'm a runner. I love to run. And that's where, you know, I get most of my ideas and inspiration and things. So it's really about sort of, I think, you know, finding time, um, not just in the business, but on the business right, where you can get that sense of perspective um, that's hugely valuable. And sometimes when we're so busy, busyness can get in the way of, of that. And I think that's really important. Well, thank you, all of you. There's so much more I'd love to ask you, like how you all recharge your batteries and how you stay relevant and, and get that longevity in the game. Rebecca, at 66, you're still doing it and crushing it and, and setting an inspiration to us all. But I'd like to thank you all so much for your Canada today sharing your stories as much as you're all women there's such diversity in this panel with stories and backgrounds and what you've shared with us today so I want to end by thanking you all for your passion and your insights it's been a wonderful discussion thank you thank you Rob thank you Rob thank you improve your practice while decreasing how hard you work to make your firm really fly. Brought to you by Advanced Track.